Hello and welcome to Glossy Trendwatch. I'm Jill Manoff, Editor-in-Chief at Glossy. Over the next few weeks, we're bringing you bonus episodes on the Glossy Podcast, where we'll take a deep dive into the changing role of buyers in the industry. For today's episode, I sit down with Avril Oates, Managing Director of Lifestyle Concept Store 10 Corso Como. We invited Avril into the studio to discuss how her job has changed over the years and what it means to translate a European brand for the U.S. market. Episode one of the Glossy Trendwatch Buyer Edition starts now. Hi, Avril. How are you? I'm so good and so great to see you on such a beautiful day today. Yes, we left out. This is so nice. <laughs> um, for those who don't know, 10 Corso Como, tell us a little bit about, about where you work. So, 10 Corso Como. Um, Actually, it's about living an experience. Um, It's shopping with all of your senses, like a 3D magazine. You see it, but you also hear it, smell it, taste it, and feel it. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) So tell me about that. How are we tasting our store? (laughs) So after years of working in editorial... Carla Sazzani, the founder of 10 Corsa Como, wanted to create a living magazine, which is actually a broad task, um, where the experience brings together various lifetime facets, lifestyle facets, for instance, fashion, design, art, culture, beauty, and cuisine or food. So 10CC is really known for its very strong visual point of view, both in terms of its design as well as the fashion design and lifestyle edits. And that is exactly what the ethos of the store is. Carla was one of the first to actually bring together, and she's a pioneer, she was a pioneer 28 years ago, in bringing together a lifestyle concept store. Yes, the lifestyle concept. It is so the rage. You were such a pioneer. The store was. Exactly. um, In Milan, of course. Exactly. Brought it to the States. What, What is your take on kind of everyone else going there? Is it... Do you have to try harder to differentiate or what's going on? I think it's really inevitable. Yeah. Um, If you think about, you know, the influence of um, e-commerce and there's almost a slight backlash to that because people now want to experience um, and they want to feel. Definitely. Um, They want to actually, one of the thoughts behind um, Corsicomo is this concept of slow shopping. And what that actually means is to take your time. It means to bury yourself to learn, um, to actually, you know, one of, I think, our key passions is really to educate um, the customer. Yes. Who is this customer? Who's coming in? You know, it varies so much. So we have we're very diverse um, as a as a brand, Um, you know, going from everything, as you know, from art through to objects. You know, we always strive strive constantly to create these new, exciting collaborations and exclusive pieces. I love working with brands to create newness. Yeah. So who are these customers? You know, some of the collaborative highlights we've had to date have been with Off-White, Heron Preston. We did some pieces, exclusive pieces of Prada. And I could go on and on. But I think the really key point is that we want to diversify and want to attract a different customer. So if there's someone from Wall Street down the corner, if there's around the corner, of course, Brooklyn is a key 
um, key area for us. We have a lot of New Jersey and, of course, Upper East as well. It's so easy to get to us down the FDR. So I think it's it's very, very diverse audience. I mean, we even, I mean, that just diversification, being in New York, we have incorporated a little bit more streetwear, um, particularly for men to appeal to a younger millennial audience. Um, but that doesn't really stop. That curation doesn't really stop just in the ready-to-wear. It appeals also. We've really tried to um, apply this to our gallery as well. We've been very fortunate to have um, and hosted four wonderful consecutive um, exhibitions and shows. Being We're at the seaport and there's a very high um, population, tourist population, but I think there's going to be a very intellectual um, customer who's going to be coming in appreciating um, these works um, which, which is, is so, you know, brings so much. Um, we feel so gratuitous about that. Yeah, People appreciation, really. Do you consider your, your in-store experience? Everybody's talking about the experience. Obviously, you're doing these exhibitions. You're doing the things that are more kind of event-driven. Um, what else is playing into the experience that you're offering? Um, it's the exclusives. It's the events. It's the. Is there a certain way that maybe your your um, associates are approaching the approaching the the customer? Yeah, I mean, I think we can talk about that absolutely. But I think the edit, you yes. know, is very very important because we've only got a limited amount of space, so we have to be very very focused. We also have to be clear um, who is our customer and really go for it, yes. um, you know, and have a strong point of view. Um, and and I think that today, certainly, um, there seems there's a very powerful woman out there. There's a strong woman. Yes. Um, and I think she wants to say, um, she wants to reflect her character as well through fashion. Um, and so we try to to really show that in, in a bold way. So, so I think what makes us different, what makes us appealing, there's certainly that. I mean, from a customer point of view, I think, you know, we treat everyone as a VIP, a very imp- really important yes. person. Um, and we don't really think of our sales, um, ex- you know, people as being assistants, as being associates. We think of them as being personal shoppers in their own right. Um, If anyone comes in and wants to clear out their wardrobe, wants help, I mean, that is where actually the extra mile and service, um, which you know is really so, so important because you can't get that online. Yes. Um, And that's really about getting to know the customer as well. Definitely. So are you kind of, as you're updating, you're offering these exclusives, um, are you really how are you promoting them because you mentioned streetwear and there's always kind of the drop model and you want to kind of build some excitement or is it more so about kind of offering a new experience every time they come and just like change keeping it updated and new are you loud about these exclusives and really do you promote them in a big way yes i mean we we try to we change our pop-ups every four to six weeks um so it's always you know as i mentioned before this sensory sort of explosion um and you know even thinking about this exclusive dust capsule collection that we're launching this month to coincide with the launch of the dust um june issue and they're they're launching that um early for us exclusively and we're hosting a cocktail event to celebrate. Um, and, you know, something like that, we'll put it. Um, yeah. you know, we'll, uh, we'll actually send a mailer to our customers. Um, we've got a digital screen outside the store that we'll talk about it there. Um, we've got press lists. And we really have to focus on um, who... It, 
because we don't want to bombard either. And we realize yes. there's a lot of oversaturation um, and people getting email blasts the whole time. And you've got to be very careful who you're talking to, how, when, why. Yes. Um, you know, what I'd compare it to is um, we're doing a beautiful capsule from Longchamp um, time um, collaborated with Nendo in July. And that we're super excited about. And that's going to be a very different customer. The Moncler Genius um, with Simone Rocha collaboration. That's coming in soon. And that's going to be yet a different customer. So how do we talk to, we identify who our customers are, we decide if it's going to be a cocktail event, if it's actually going to be a DJ event, if it's going to be a day, an evening, a personalization. Yeah. Um, you know, so we actually try to do things different differently throughout the store. We open at 11 and we close at 8 in the summer. And that gives us a wide, wide, uh, you know, time span to yeah. actually talk differently to different customers. We're doing a book launch, we might do it over lunch um, and so on and so forth. And so, you know, how do we tell the customer about it? I think identifying who that customer is and um, and really sending it out on um, email blast or, blast or I'd even say for the opening, we actually had email invitations printed and sent out. Oh, nice. Old fashioned. Um, <laughs> so old school. But beautiful. Yeah. Definitely. So you mentioned how the brands that you're collaborating with really um, speak to different audiences. Do you, is that a way, is that a strategy? Do you look for, you know, um, we want to attract the streetwear crowd, for example. Mm -hmm. So we, let's go, for, let's look for a great streetwear brand to collaborate with. What makes a good collaborator for you? I think it's passion, really, at the oh, end of yeah. the day. Um, you know, it's someone who's actually wants to work with us and we feel that there is the right energy. Yeah. Um, that's all about success in life. I mean, don't you find that in your life with your friends, your family, your, you know, at home? Um, and it's like if someone, you know, you have to put in 50% of the effort. You can't put in 80% of the effort. That's yeah. that's, that's that's not in a balance, is it? So, so I think what makes a good um, collaboration, first of all, I think it's someone being as passionate about life and the product and being with us as we are about reflecting who they are correctly as well. Um, I think that's the first thing. I think the second thing, I mean, life again depends on timing. Um, and is the timing right? I mean, we've done some wonderful collaborations, um, you know, over Valentine's Day over, you know, we choose, we choose our dates quite specifically, obviously, to talk to you know, to a different audience and different people in different ways. Um, so does the timing work? Mm -hmm. um, and is it unique? You know, does yeah. it reflect actually the DNA of Ten Corsa Como? So yes. everything, you know, boils down at the end of the day to art, culture and sharing that passion for, you know, it has the common denominator is actually also fashion. Now you have your, um, gosh, your your birthplace of Milan. Mm -hmm. um, the store that is there um, is what what you have in store in New York. How reflective is that? Is it is it the same? Is it really catered to the local market? What's different? So you know, I think really what I'd say is that we try to reflect. So you can go into any store um, in glo globally, the, any of the 10 Corsicomo stores. Um, by the way, all designed by Chris Roos, um, who is actually the, the, uh, the artist who's um, created every single one of these stores differently. 
So first of all, you know, you go in and you feel the same ethos, but you also feel there's something slightly different about it. And then, of course, we do think about, you know, who is the customer? Um, we want to reflect, as I say, the ambiance, the whole ethos of, of the Milan store particularly, but that whole Italian background. And we try to choose a little bit more Italian than, than anything else because you're, you're coming into an Ita- Italian sort of environment to a certain extent. Um, but, you know, streetwear is so important here, and I have to go back to that because that's probably our greatest difference from the other stores. Sneakerization is never going to go away. Yes. Um, and, you know, we've really embraced it in, in a different way. Not to say we're a jeans and T-shirt um, at all um, sort of destination because we're not, um, but we're looking for collaborators, collaborators who actually reflect that sneakerization that we've already discussed in, in that way. But otherwise, you know, I think um, we're in New York, um, we've been so lucky to also host these CFDA Vogue Fashion Fund winners. Um, and we want to pick a little bit of those new brands as well. And, you know, maybe the store in Seoul would be actually reflecting Korea or Seoul Fashion Week a little yeah. bit more. So we, we have to reflect our environment Definitely. So sneakerization, which I love that word. I don't know if I heard that word. <laughs> New one for me. Um, is that that's more so in America? Are you are you not seeing that in Europe or Asia or how? Do, what's the comparison? It's. I think. I mean, you're absolutely right. It's that's a that's a difficult one because I was actually sitting in um, in a cafe in Athens um, quite recently and everybody I was watching going past it was outdoors the weather was so beautiful and everyone was wearing sneakers um, but I think there's fashion sneaker and yeah. there is actually just a work sneaker or day sneaker um, and then of course there's an athletic sneaker yeah. and I think what we try to do certainly at 10 Corsicoma is we try to push the boat on the um, the fashion collaboration more than anything else um, I think also I, I would say I would say yes it is a global phenomenon but I think America started it um, and I don't see it going away. (laughs) Thank goodness. (laughs) We are all more comfortable for it. That's for sure. Certainly Um, in New York. Sorry to interrupt. But in New York, you know, it's so I walk to work every morning um, and I get into my sneakers and I I actually just feel like a New Yorker because everyone around me, you can see they've got their tote bags and they've got their heels or slides or whatever it is in their tote bag and they go and they change at work. Um, And that's commonplace. And that's about fitting into your environment. I was just going to say, you're just fitting in. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) What about what's being sold online? I know it's all about the in-store experience or that's a large part of it, but you do have e-commerce. So what's being sold there? So we're actually launching our e-commerce properly in September. Um, And that's going to be a very exciting um, launch for us because I think we're going to be able to have a portal that's going to be able to reflect even more than we can currently in our space. Um, So that that's that's very that's very exciting for us. It was very important for us to actually get the project and the store up and running um, and really do things in baby steps. Um, And we're creating a new brand name here in in the US, if you you like. Absolutely. Um, So brand awareness, we've been creating that. We've been actually talking to a new customer um, and slowly by surely, um, I think think that the e-commerce project is going to be an important one. Not taking away from the fact that we are very, very much um, an offline destination um, and the whole ethos of uh, pop-ups and exclusives and collaborations and one of a kind um, is so important to us to come and feel and touch those. Yes, I was I also am wondering, are some of the 
luxury brands that you're working with is, I don't know, will that be a hurdle as you move to e-commerce? Maybe somewhat, some still may not want to be a part of it. What is your take on, <laughs> obviously the luxury world is changing. Um, is everything going online, would you say? I think I'm seeing a few players who actually said they would they would never go online, and I see I see that happening. I think it's inevitable. Um, I think for us to get um, all the brands on online, I think it's a question of time. Um, to be really honest, I think it's how passionate we are about, you know giving a platform and reflecting a platform that's of the right caliber of of taste level really but we're lucky because we don't just do fashion you know we've got objects we've got 10 cc own label brands and there are not that many destinations in manhattan where you can find celeste you can actually you know find so many different memphis products for those who are real collectors um george jensen you know we've you know, we've we've we were actually working with so many more, if you like, SKUs and departments and um, and brands than just fashion, and that's yeah. that's exciting. So I think our brand mix in itself is more attractive to a different customer, and you know we cross fingers that um, you know we're going to reflect it as rich a way um, online as we are currently doing offline. That makes sense. Tell me about your private label that you've mentioned, 10CC. Um, is that really data-driven or what What gets that stamp? <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's a great question, actually. Um, it's um, it's really made up of easy pickup item, but it's also, you know, it's not cost prohibitive um, at all. It's also cool. It's a reflection of a new place you've been to. So we... You know, we're building that customer, but at the same time, we have a loyal customer who comes into the store who wants the 10cc New York labeled product. So we've got a couple of t-shirts, we've got a couple of totes, and they're almost collectors <laughs> pieces. So we have Italians, we have a lot of Italians who come into the store when they visit, um, and they have to buy a little tote that's got New York on it. Oh my so, gosh, it's like the modern chic version of the Hard Rock Cafe t-shirt. <laughs> yes. The chic shoppers version. <laughs> so, you know, so is it data-driven? I mean, Obviously, we work a lot with, um, you know, just looking at the analysis. But at the end of the day, you know, a buyer's job is very, very much the gut instinct um, between, you know, what is the trend and what's going what's going to sell. No level of technology, I mean, can ever really replace the pure expertise of buying. Definitely. Talk a little bit about um, your experience. Let's just circle back um, because I definitely went, the role of the buyer has changed. I want to know, have you been a buyer for years? Where, where'd you come from? <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, I have. I've actually had, um, I've had experience here in the US. I've had experience in, in London, a lot of experience there. Um, and I've had experience in, in Paris at um, Gallery Lafayette at London. Amazing, um, yes. London, I was with um, Harvey Nichols and Harrods. Um, but, you know, the customer is very global today. Yep. Um, and it's quite interesting as a buyer what I can say in, in all my years of really going through the different sort of um, stages of being from an assistant buyer to a buyer to buying director and, and onwards. Um, the one thing I would say is that, and excuse the expression in the industry, we say a dog is a dog. <laughs> and what that actually means is a, be a worse seller is a worse seller no matter where you are in the world. Um, and that's actually quite, quite really key to, to remember. You need to, to understand and listen to your current audience. But actually, at the end of the day, a bestseller is globally a bestseller. 
I love that. Would you say the role of the buyer as everything's moved from, you know, seasonal or maybe more fashion week centered or driven um, to a little bit more fast? And like what's changed in the last, let's say, 10 years for the buyer? So, I mean, that 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 is, you know, I always think, have we has it actually changed? And for for 10cc fashion is a key pillar. What makes us unique is our blend of fashion with the design, the art, the lifestyle aspect. Um, so regardless of what is going on in the industry, at 10cc we will always buy um, with culture and creativity in as the core DNA really of the brand. Um, I think the you know, the industry being very um, constantly changing, evolving um, and looking for newness in some ways, that new model in the industry is reflective of what we're doing because we're doing these constantly changing, which I mentioned, pop ups. Yeah. So to a certain extent, we're, we're following that um, and we believe in giving many more designers a platform. Um, I think that the shifting of the fashion calendar may change the way we buy um, and is what is in store season after season. Um, but I, that won't change our ethos. I think it's certainly a challenge when there's a lot of markdown goods. Um, and that's why we try even more from our point of view to do exclusives and collaborations. So we avoid that. Yep. Um, and we don't get into, we don't get excuse me saying it sucked into that sort of that world because it's that's that's not healthy um and i think the way gucci have gone and prada are now going with having like no sale um is is it makes a customer really make feels that their their um what their investment has got a much longer term longer lifespan and by the way when we're also talking about um just talking about all this product, endless product in the world um, and upcycling, um, it's really important that we can actually buy merchandise and invest in it and feel that we can actually want to hand it down, you know, to to our children to a certain extent. And talking about myself for a little minute, I have actually got so many pieces from years and years and years that I I do hand down to my nieces and and (laughs) friends, but it's fantastic. And I do believe in the upcycling and and by the the quality of clothes then, it feels like they were much more long lasting. So I I think disposable clothing is not what we're in the business of. Um, And if we can move away from that, um, I think that that's a trend really worth investing in. So but with regard to, you know, the changing role of the buyer, um, I think it's a challenge, to be really honest. I think you need to be very, very much on the ball. You need to be quick response. You need to be flexible, always, you know, aware of trends. Um, but I think it's 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 a good challenge. Um, I don't think anyone is actually sitting, sitting still. Um, I think this constant need for everyone's looking for different exclusives, for actually looking for, for something new, um, is giving also, if you like, designers an opportunity um, to show themselves in, in a different light. So I, th- I think it's it's definitely a different, definitely a different role. And, and I think also, um, you know, learning, knowing your numbers. Yes. <laughs> That's absolutely critical and you cannot go into this without actually knowing your numbers and having a great eye and a great gut feeling so I, I would say those last three things that I mentioned that's not changed yeah um, and then developing relationships and developing the relationship with the customer let's not forget that because even though you're a buyer that end customer still is the reason why you're in a job yes <laughs> oh my gosh speaking of a dog is a dog is there something that maybe <laughs> you took a risk on or something that you um 
saw as maybe gaining momentum and it seemed like it was a good idea at the time, but maybe it was kind of maybe a flop. I'm not going to say that that I I'm not going to say that I've done it like once. I've done it many times probably. I think unfortunately that's the nature of the beast and if I actually had, you know, a, a globe in front of me and could fortune tell that way I'd be sitting on a beach in the Bahamas right now. But um, but unfortunately you no know, you take risks. You take calculated risks. I mean you talked about data earlier and I think that's very important to that. But also I think you know having buying team under, under me who I, what I educate them having been a buyer myself um, you know in early in my career um, I, I say the most important thing is to confess and hands up when you realize you put that extra zero on the order when you should have actually been buying I say a hundred and you bought a thousand or yes. you know as an example um, and you know and I say don't hide it because it's not going to go away. And the problem is not going to go away. Just hand up and say to me, um, by the way, we've made this mistake and then we can we can rectify it. And I think that's the same when, you know, you spot a trend and it hasn't actually maybe come to fruition. You can deal with it yes. because I'm never afraid, like, you know, likewise to call um, my counterpart at a brand and say, oops, yes, <laughs> how can you help us with this one? I really thought it was going in this direction. I mean, I'm going to balance it all out, though, because everybody makes, makes mistakes. And, and, you know, I think it's, it's good to own up to mistakes. But when you buy into something and you buy strongly into it, your key friend is marketing. What are your marketing tools? So instead of actually just saying, OK, this is maybe, you know, lagging, put all the emphasis behind it or Put the emphasis behind it before you've bought it. When you've put all those zeros behind something, say, okay, well, you know what? I'm going to talk to people about it. I'm going to host an event around it. And I'm going to actually, you know, just just make sure that everybody knows this top of mind. Because let's face it, impact is what life is about in many respects. So a customer comes in, if they see one thing just sort of, you know, you know, um, in the wind, you know, flying in the wind, they're not going to necessarily believe it's the horse you're backing. But if you make an impact, either visually, through your sales associate, through your marketing channels, then I think, you know, at the end of the day, hopefully you can even out um, the dog is the dog. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Who are the buyer's collaborators like across across the company? Are you working a lot with marketing? Are you working with content? Is there just more collaboration now um, these days than maybe in the past? Um, And who? Yeah. Who are you in cahoots with? Everyone. More so so than ever. Absolutely. Um, And I think, you know, going back to my earlier comment, I think the brand is your your first collaborator. That relationship has to be key. It has to be super strong at all levels um, from, you know, managing director down to actually the person who's keying in. Um, And by the way, the back of house as well, you know, with the accountants, you know, so that has to be our accountants to their accountants to make sure that actually the payment is, is fluid and strong. So so I think it's all across the board. And, and it, before it used to be, having been in this business a few years now, it's <laughs> it used to be a them and us situation. Um, and I think transparency is yeah. key. And that's, that's something that I think the evolution of just life as well, maybe led by e-commerce and Facebook and Instagram and all of that, you know, people are looking for authenticity, um, you know, very, very much, you know, are you selling me something? What is the provenance behind this? So I think that transparency goes, going back to your question, goes 
all the way, you know, all through through every every gamut. And actually that relationship building, it can be from, from marketing through to your PR and through to the customer. If you don't believe in something and it isn't clear to you, that's not going to be transmitted. That information is not going to be transmitted um, clearly to the end customer. Totally. Do you see this kind of shift that a lot of the brands are making to more of a direct-to-consumer model? They're, they want their own control and they want to do their own thing. Um, is that a threat or in any way? Or do you feel like you need to be more maybe nimble in terms of your relationship with them, just like you were saying? It's, it yeah. is such a tight I connection. Think, I, I think, you know, it's... Uh, absolutely. I understand brands who want to go direct. And I think it's very... Um, and I think it's smart. And I think, by the way, the customer's asking for it as well because they're saying, I don't want to. Where is this markup going? But on the other hand, of course, I have to believe in the fact that we offer something so different and a curation and an edit that for someone who doesn't know and someone who's kind of like, well, I know I want an evening dress, but I don't know, or someone I want to look smart for work, but I don't know. Um, I think that we, and that's that whole experiential. So as long as you can actually have a USP, um, no, I don't see it as a threat. I just think the consumerism is just so vast, so enormous yes. um, that actually there is some someone for something for everyone, and I do I do believe that. And and I think you know what is your DNA being very very um, you know very very clear on what that DNA is and what you are and always reflecting that. And then what is your USP? Yes, absolutely. Is it necessary because you have various departments? You are a modern day department store, I guess, different, I guess, categories um, to have kind of experts in every category, buyers, more buyers that are really can own this category or what, what does your team look like? So it, <laughs> it was a challenge when we were starting up two years ago. Yeah. Uh, what does the team look like and how many people do we need to invest behind? And, you know, we've just done a stock count. And I mean, the, the number of SKUs um, we have is, is enormous. It's thousands and thousands because, of course, as we've said, we've got anything from books through to um, you know, umbrellas <laughs> through to ready to wear and accessories and bags. Um, and uh, we, I would, what I would actually say is that I'm very, very lucky to have an, a super talented team um, across the board, to be honest. And, um, and, you know, the buyers who we have are highly experienced and are also very flexible and versatile. And I think that what they're able to do is do a myriad of buying. Um, but I'd say we've got a lean team, and a very, very skilled but flexible team. Um, and I mean, I'm very, very lucky to, to have them really um, because they cover a wide variety of product in, in different ways. I don't and I, I think the reason why that, that was very important to me is because I wanted the passion more than, you know, anything else as well. So perhaps they're actually working a little bit more, but they're gaining experience at the same time, but they believe in, in, in what we do. Nice. Thank you, Avril. This was so fun. No, it was actually so much fun talking to you and um, can't wait to, to see you in the store. Thank you so much for, for a really animated discussion. It was great. That's all for this episode of Glossy Trend Watch. Special thanks to Aditi Sangal, the producer of this podcast. 
We'll be back next week with the next episode where I'll talk to Mr. Porter's Daniel Todd, who will discuss his experience at the online menswear retail destination and how he works closely with the editorial team. In the meantime, please head to the review section on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast. Give us a rating and tell us what you think. It helps our podcast be discovered by new listeners. And I'll be back next week. Bye.